This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined per usual by Alex. What's up? And joining us now as our special guest to review what was a just gut-wrenching loss in the Carabao Cup to the hands of Leicester City, 4-2 on penalties. We have quite the introduction for you, but it is Sam from DU Football Show. Sam, thanks for coming on the program. (laughs) Glad we were finally able to do this, guys. I know we've been working at it for a while. Yeah, we're we're glad to have you on. Unfortunately, we couldn't have a brilliant come from behind win to discuss. But regardless, I think there's a lot to break down. So let me throw it to Alex first. Alex, why don't you just give your your instant reaction to the match? How are you feeling post gut wrenching defeat? So honestly, this is like the happiest I've been in probably even a couple of years after a defeat, only because of the fight and the tenacity that the, the team showed. It was really nice to see. Moise Keane come on for the second half and put in a good shift. It felt like he had better his bearings straighter than they than he did uh, over the weekend before he was pulled off. And and I think just the Leighton Bain strike at the end um, was absolutely epic. I think that it kept the stadium just bumping. The penalty loss was unfortunate, but either way, we're already at a bare bones squad, and we really. Just need to focus on the league and, and getting back up into the places we should be at. Sam, what are your thoughts following that match? Uh, much of the same. It's really hard to be terribly upset about that. Uh, the The team played their butts off. the The passion was there. Yeah, there was a few gaffes early on in the uh, in the start of the game, especially surrounding the two goals, but. The effort was there. The energy was there. The minute that we saw that that Lester was going to line up a full squad and have have a lot of their you know big marquee players out there, it's hard to think when I mean heck, I mean we're not missing parts to the car. All four wheels are off. It's uphill. It's out of gas, and Dunk is trying to push it by himself. I mean, there's there's we're to such a bare bones that there's really no changes, tactical moves that we can make. There's nothing we can essentially do and with our back against the wall boys fought their asses off they got the they got it back to a tie they got it to penalties unfortunate but much this is the happiest i've ever felt about a loss really is yeah i'm inclined to agree with both of you i mean at two nil going into half it felt like the game was already gone to some extent i thought large stretches of the first half we were pretty ineffective full disclosure i wasn't able to watch intently um, as I do have a full-time day job and therefore uh, made that a little bit difficult. But I caught most of the first half and virtually all of the second half. And it, it wasn't great, but I think it was just, you know, the Goodison crowd was, was definitely up for it. And considering the squad that we were rolling out, basically the same as, same squad that faced Manchester United at the weekend. Um, how much can we really expect? I mean, they're, they're not fully recovered, probably. They're having to work very, very hard. And it, I think... The, the expectations going into this match were relatively low. Regardless, I think both goals that we conceded could have probably been avoided. I mean, the Johnny Evans tap in on the back post 
how many times are we going to watch us concede off a set piece on the back post? It's just, it becomes a recurring theme. And so that was a bit frustrating. But zonal marking strikes again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, but again, anytime you have a central defender that's playing one of your key central midfield roles, it's hard to get too frustrated with the overall result. And, and furthermore, the second half was all the more encouraging. Again, crowd spurred the team on. They really fought hard for the victory. And, and once they got that one goal, I mean, we had numerous chances. Frankly, Yerry Mina should have probably had two goals in the first half. Um, but once we got that one back and sort of clawed our way in, I said in our Discord chat, if there's one thing I have zero faith in Everton, in doing it is coming from back from a deficit and they proved me wrong today. And, you know, obviously the, the shout out goes to Leighton Baines, vintage Leighton with a thunderbolt rocket into the top corner to equalize and a subdued celebration for this, given the circumstances. And once it goes to penalties, I mean, that's just, it, it, it's a crapshoot, right? So there's not too much that can be done there, but all in all, I think a, a really, really solid performance. So uh, I was on the side of the road watching from my telephone because uh, full disclosure, I have a day job too. Uh, Mine just happens to be on the road. So at least I got to plug my phone into my car and listen to it. And then, you know, hold up the camera would like basically sit on the side of the road and watch it from my, my phone. Um, the minute the minute Leighton Bates had the ball in his foot and started dribbling towards the goal, I was yelling at my phone in the car, just like, you don't want to give him room. You do not want to give him room. And boom, next thing you know, back of the net. I mean, just a, a classic Leighton Bates strike. It was. And you know what? I actually, I was really excited for Tom Davies to score just because of the fact that he's scoring at Goodison Park. He, he really hasn't been scoring a whole lot as of, late, you know, after announcing himself on the scene against Man City a handful of years ago. So that was also nice to see. But James, you made a really good point about coming back from the deficit. And and I think my overarching thought or or point to my thought that I've been having is essentially that we've seen such a weak weak mentality in this Everton side for the last handful of years. And now we're seeing a ton of fight. Duncan Ferguson is able to instill this fight this tenacity in the players and now we just saw ourselves fight back from a 2-0 deficit to make it 2-2 especially in the 91st minute you know you know and I feel like that's really reinforcing the confidence instilling confidence in the players again that hey if we go down we can surely get ourselves back into it and we just ran for 91 minutes before we got back into it but we did it and I, I think that even lessens the loss or the emphasis of the loss well, the loss itself, let's face it, boys, it's it's a coin flip when it comes to penalties. If this was a league game and Leighton Bain scored in the 91st minute for the draw, right now we would be all losing our effing minds. Absolutely. Right? We'd be, we'd be excited as hell. So, you know, it's, you, you take it as, okay, yet another chance of us probably not winning a cup unless we do something miraculous at Anfield, which is a big ask. But so probably another year of not winning a cup, which is disappointing. But in the same regards, just the the effort goes a long way. And, and to double back on, on Davies' goal, let's face it. Davies did not have a particularly good first half. He and and it seems like at times he's trying to do too much because he feels like he has to. And to some degree he does because well, there's no other midfielders to play with him right now. I mean, we have Mason playing up there with him, who's doing fine, but it's not a midfielder. And he was really making a lot of mistakes, sloppy tackles, diving in on things, just didn't look good. But then to have 
the confidence to put off that strike, get that goal and keep with the team and keep pushing down the stretch. And a lot to be said for that effort out of out of him in particular. I agree. I agree. It, it's you can tell how much it means to him every time he puts on a blue shirt. And it was good to see him get a goal. And, and you know, there's there are, despite the loss, a lot of positives to take from this, which you can't say about many of our other losses this season. I don't think there was there was definitely a low point. I mean, namely, just the the heart that Duncan Ferguson has reinstilled in the team is the most important thing. And I think that's going to be massive. Um, he said in his post-match remarks that there's a tremendous team spirit about the squad now. I mean, not that there, maybe there always was, but it's certainly shown a lot more under his tenure than it did under towards the, to the end of Marco Silva's um, uh, reign at Goodison. I did want to touch on the uh, Moise Keane substitution at halftime for Bernard, who hopefully didn't, it looked like he picked up a knock. I'm not sure how serious that is. Hopefully that's day to day. Cause we really, we really can't afford to be losing many more players at this point. We're going to have to, for, start forfeiting matches for in an ineligibility at this rate. But, but the Moise Keane substitution I thought was huge because one, it's a huge show of faith from the manager following the debacle at Old Trafford. Secondly, I thought he played really well and it was, it was great to see a reaction from him. Obviously a bit humiliating to be substituted as a substitute, but he looked good and he looked dangerous as a substitute with the fresh legs and finally showed like some of the dynamism that we all know he possesses. And, you know, had a shot, had a de- couple decent um, dribble moves. And, and so I think that that bodes very well for his future to see that type of reaction from the young player. It absolutely does. I mean, I mean, it's it was super like I said, it was super nice to see him especially get a whole half of football. It was good to see him running himself pretty far into the ground to the very end. There was a lot of work on the touchline to try to gain, regain possession and, and and kind of push the ball forward in moments in the last five, six, seven, eight minutes. And so. I think it's yeah, I think it's really positive. I think that it was a good move from Duncan Ferguson and honestly if he pays attention to the media at all that could have been <laughs> that could have been part of the pressure or, or it could have been pressure in general maybe to to give him an appearance and not fuel the fire that is uh fandom on Twitter and Facebook and all over social media. Few few thoughts to that too. Um, first off, it does a lot of good when he comes on the pitch, and the Goodison faithful lose their freaking minds over it. Like I mean, cheering him on, huge huge ovation when he came on to start the second half. Which that's got to immediately, as a young player, let you know. All right, hey, that was that was Sunday. We're now here, and this is what we care about. So give us something, and he really did. And that the. Uh, the you were talking about the few steps he had that gorgeous cross um, after doing a few step overs that uh, Calvin Lewin got hella high in the air just wasn't able to uh, put in uh, there in the second half that was quite remarkable and we kind of keep tiptoeing around you know oh he's a kid he's a kid he's a kid all right kid you got your hand slapped you got in trouble now you got your arm put around you and you got put back on the pitch learn from that. Now, now go play football. You know, this is this is what being a professional footballer is. And maybe now let's take the kid gloves off. Let's go ahead and push him out there and and let him learn. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and I think this this bodes well for, you know, the potential for him to start to feature maybe more regularly in the Premier League. I mean, make no mistake, this was a very strong Leicester side that they fielded. Besides, I think, Wes Morgan starting at center back instead of Sonyuku or Sonyuchu or however you pronounce it. Um, that's that's basically their full strength team. And so for us to show up like that and perform the way we did was was very encouraging. I mean, we played them well 
um, a couple weeks ago. But this was this was a more even game for sure as far as specifically like possession and what we were able to create on the offensive end. So, I mean, this this will be, I think, despite the loss, a, a confidence restoring game for a lot of players. The one player that may fall outside of that was Michael Keane. I, I did not think he played well, unfortunately, um, as much as I you know want him to be good and want him to be successful. We're going to talk about this very shortly, but he doesn't seem like the type of player that uh, Carlo Ancelotti is exactly going to be licking his chops, waiting to coach. Uh, he, he, I think he was partially at fault for the second goal. Uh, Johnny Evans, he, he was presumably marking the back post and just kind of let him back off and get into space and get free. Um, but again, I don't want to harp too much on the negatives because I think there are so many positives that we can take from the game. I, I put the first goal on him too. Um, Mason Holgate was advanced, and while he was ultimately the closest player to Madison off the shot, Coleman had Vardy covered, and Keane was just standing in no man's space. So it was like, how do you, as a center back, just let a man be open inside your box? Like, you can't do that. That just That's center back 101. Man open in box, I need to cover him. Pretty simple. And he didn't do it. So I put a lot of the first goal on him, too, unfortunately. And I imagine once we have Schneiderlin or Delph healthy, Holgate goes right back and, and Keane goes back to the bench. That absolutely could be a possibility. Although Mason Holgate has been very good at defensive midfield in the last two matches, so could even possibly give the other two a run for their money at some point. So nonetheless, before we move on to the Ancelotti talk, right, just a quick bit. So Greg O'Keefe spoke to Duncan Ferguson after the match, and apparently Duncan Ferguson said that there were tears in the locker room, plenty of tears in the locker room, which is, I think, very unfortunate and shows how much the match meant to them. But then he goes on to say that uh, this was... This was a really big moment for Seamus Coleman and, and Leighton Baines, right? Some on Twitter are saying maybe this could have been the last time they play together just because I think this 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 year with Leighton Baines just one year contract extension. So he's 35 as we know. He's not getting any younger, although we, you wouldn't have known it by that strike in the 91st. And so I think it brought a lot of emotion and and, and that's also kind of important to note is that, you know, we see players on the pitch in our in our kits and we get frustrated because we told ourselves that we should be getting top six this year. Yeah, we also have to remember they're human beings. And a lot of times it's not like they want to be out on the pitch losing every single match and ending up in 16th place. Um, but nonetheless, in terms of Ancelotti, and this would be a good a good seg- uh, a segue kind of into the Ancelotti talk would be, Duncan Ferguson was then asked if he was going to be in charge on Saturday for the match against Arsenal. And he said he assumes he will only because it would be a short turnaround. Now there are rumors buzzing on Twitter that Ancelotti will be announced at halftime and will be at the match at Goodison Park. So it'll be interesting nonetheless. Um, Sam, what's your take on the Ancelotti rumors? Um, why shouldn't we have a world-class manager? We, we looked at the start of this season and we, we purchased players that we felt could challenge for the top six. We want to take the next step. Why in the hell do we keep getting the next up-and-coming manager? If there's a world-class manager out there, buy him. I'd rather see us burn and fail miserably at this than to just appoint the next eh, guy at a lower club. But he's young, so we like him. We did that with Martinez. We did that with Komen. We did that with Silva. And, and it looked like at a point there, we might be doing it with Hal. There's a world-class manager. Go get him. That's... the. We end up getting him, and Arsenal ends up with Arteta. That's a huge swing. 
No one ever expects Everton to come up with the big name. We got the big name. That's also going to say something to big name players is too. And as long as Ancelotti has has the assurances to get the pieces he needs over the summer, which I would have to imagine he will because we've proven with our new ownership, we're not afraid to spend the money. In fact, we've probably even spent the money stupidly at times, but we're not afraid to spend the money. So why not go get a proven world-class manager who has won every trophy at every single level? We deserve that as a club. Our fans deserve that. And the players on the field deserve that. I completely agree. And I think to some extent, I mean, I think Roberto Martinez and Marco Silva were of the same old or agree, both up-and-coming managers, both young, and both actually had clubs that they coached that were relegated. Uh, in their recent past when we hired them. Can't say the same for Carlo Ancelotti. I think Ronald Koeman was more so Farhad Moshiri attempting to get that world-class or, you know, he wasn't by no means proven, but as a player, he was a well-known name and, of course, known throughout world football with a reputation. I think Carlo Ancelotti is a completely different animal than anything we've tackled as a club before. He'll come and be by far the most decorated manager to ever grace the sidelines at Goodison Park, uh, fronting the home team. So, I mean, the the latest report from Phil Kirkbride coming out shortly before recording is that the club expects to have the deal done within 48 hours, which again, the timelines would then make sense for Dunk to have his swan song in charge at Arsenal, um, against Arsenal rather, at the weekend. And then for Ancelotti to come in and start working, hopefully what is his managerial magic and turn the squad around. I think looking at the squad right now, he'll be encouraged by the performance if he's looking on. Certainly there's a lot of work to be done as far as recruitment and bringing players in. But my my biggest thing with Ancelotti is that, you know, we may have spent money foolishly simply because we weren't able to necessarily attract the top caliber players or even if we were able to attract them, uh, convince them to to accept reasonable wages. So we ended up overpaying for the quality of player that we're going to get with Ancelotti at the helm and his reputation. The quality of player that we'll be able to recruit, I think, increases tremendously. I think there's very few players in world football that wouldn't want to play for a manager such as Ancelotti, as decorated as he is. And so I think I think it just sort of trickles throughout the entire club and, and ups our status. It'll be a tremendous headline when the knock on wood, if it's finally announced. Um, and it's it's only going to be positives for you know the short to midterm. The question becomes, how long can he stick around? There was a really interesting uh, excerpt posted by Ethan in our Discord chat, which I then tweeted the next day to try to get that, you know, Twitter clout. And it's Latan talking about how he met up with with Carlo at PSG and how at the time, you know, everyone knows PSG now is the the elite club in Paris, in in France and they have all this money and obviously the Qatari um ownership is is has has I guess catapulted them into the forefront of of world football, but it wasn't too long ago that they hadn't won the league for you know a decade plus. And that was right around the time when Carlo came in and he sort of laid the foundation for them to go and build what they were, what they were able, what they are able to do and are currently doing. So I think, you know, for the, for, to say that Carlo Ancelotti has, has only managed all the top teams is true to some extent, but with the caveat that when he took over PSG, they were not the team they are now. And he was instrumental in sort of laying the foundation for, Again, the transformation they've undergone. And so I'm hoping that he can do the same with Everton. And if you haven't checked out those comments, um, do just like the full excerpt because it's super interesting. 
And on that note, guys, we're going to wrap up the first segment of our episode. Stay tuned after the break for our chat with Mike from the Mostly Soccer Podcast. We previewed the Arsenal match. Full disclosure, again, we did record it yesterday on Tuesday night. So it's a bit going to be a bit of a time warp situation. We're talking about Ancelotti stuff. Um, and we mentioned the Leicester matches, though it hadn't happened, which, of course, it did. But with that said, Sam, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you coming on as a guest and uh, let everyone know where they can find you and where they can find your show. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me again. And uh, congratulations on the uh, recent network uh, sign on and uh, all the success that's been happening with your show. It's been uh, nice to see you're a great couple of guys and I like what you're doing. Um, so I do the DU football show. It's a completely biased recap of the English Premier League where myself, Atafi, and another guy named Sam, uh, a stupid gooner, uh, drink a lot of alcohol, uh, cuss an obscene amount, and then recap all the games from the English Premier League. And uh, you can find us, DU football show, on anywhere you get your podcast we're on everything we even have a youtube channel even though there's no video and uh at du football show on all the social media and if you listen to us next week i apologize in advance i'm going to be out of the country on a cruise which means my idiot co-host is going to be at the helm it's going to be a two-hour show there's probably going to be a segment on the uh breakdown of Mesut Ozil's Fortnite playing style it's probably going to be awful um and I won't be there to mock them when we beat the crap out of them at Goodison this weekend so but again boys thank you for everything I appreciate it And we are joined by one of our most favorite guests ever, Mike from Mostly Soccer Podcast. Mike, thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thank you so much for having me. So today we have Mike on. Mike's a big Arsenal fan. And so we are going to do our preview segment of Everton versus Arsenal over the weekend. So first off, just a little bit of background info. Arsenal sit in 10th place with 22 points currently, while Everton sit in 16th place with 18 points. James, I don't know about you, but I, I felt like after our last two results, we might have seen us slightly higher up the table with how everyone has been just beaming about how uh, congested the table is from, you know, six or seventh and down. I mean, it's starting to look a bit less congested. Of course, now the spots through like, I mean, 10th, we're, we're not too far behind Arsenal. But yeah, I, I sort of expected the four points would do more for us as well. Um, it just shows how really it's, I think it's going to be a tight bottom 10 or bottom eight for the bottom of the seat for rest of a lot of the rest of the season. And I, it's just going to be a big game for us. So big game for both teams, I think, depending on what the managerial situation is, um, need to get both teams need to get headed in the right direction very quickly. And with that, Mike, how you feel about Arsenal sitting in 10th place? Uh, I feel terrible. I mean, is there any other way to feel <laughs> about the current situation of Arsenal or Everton? I mean, both teams are uh, the laughing stock of the league, in my opinion. Only team worse than Arsenal and Everton right now is West Ham. And, uh, I mean, both clubs, like James just said, they need to start heading in the right direction because realistically, these are supposedly two of the best teams in the league, you know, top six contenders, and mm -hmm. they're playing like two of the worst. I can genuinely tell you, I've never seen a team defend worse than Arsenal has this year. Never in my life. 
No professional team has been this bad defensively as Arsenal. Absolutely agreed. And currently, so so both of our clubs are also looking for a new permanent manager. At the moment, Everton is apparently extremely strongly linked with Carlo Ancelotti somehow. Now, both clubs have been linked with Mikel Arteta, uh, Pep's assistant manager or assistant coach at Man City. But now it seems like Arsenal and Arteta are in deep conversations. How do you feel about Arteta possibly being your new manager at Arsenal? I have loved the idea of Mikel Arteta coming in since Arsene Wenger left. Um, I think I'm one of the few people who wanted him originally after Wenger left. And, um, you know, I've remained at that position. Uh, I think Arteta is going to be a great manager. I mean, you work under Pep Guardiola. You have to be pretty good at your job, right? Arsene Wenger praised this guy for a while and his coaching skill at Arsenal. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to do a great job. And I'm not sure how he's going to approach this team because they're in such disarray right now. I mean, we need a good man manager. So I think Arteta is going to be a great tactician with his current background, coaching under Pep and uh, coaching some of the players at City. But I'm concerned that some of the players like Mesut Ozil might give him a problem or you know, maybe a Granit Xhaka if he's still around. So it's going to be interesting to see, but I'm completely in on Arteta. And for you guys, I think Ancelotti is a very interesting one. I'm not sure if he's the the right manager because he's kind of a guy from all accounts that goes into clubs that are completely, uh, you know, stacked up for lack of a better term or way to put it. And he just kind of corrects them and cruises them to victory. So I think Everton's going to be uh, an interesting project for him if he does go there. Yeah, I do find how the the, the state of both clubs has really shaped the, the narrative of, of the recruitment process for a new manager because, of course, it's really, I think, Arsenal fans have, since Arsene Wenger left, to some extent, sort of just believed that things would continue to go as they had under him and they just really haven't gone that way. And I think Manchester United fans are coming to the same realization, the same as even Everton fans to some extent have come to that realization post David Moyes, who, I mean, just can we just take a moment and appreciate that we went from being linked to David Moyes returning to Carlo Ancelotti in the span of a week. Mark Hughes was linked to the job. I mean, this is, it's been one of the two wildest days of since I've been an Everton fan. Like it's just I can't like stay off Twitter. I've been refreshing nonstop. It's it's incredible, and it's almost overshadowed like the match on Saturday, just because I think the apprehension of who is going to go to which club, and I think it's clear both clubs are sort of moving in different directions. But Arteta was someone that I had talked myself kind of into as well. I think Everton fans had uh, by and large. I mean, there's obviously the concerns about his experience, but overall, I think that. Um, I think he, I agree. I think he's on the path to be a top manager in the world. And I think, again, he's, he's better suited for the type of project, maybe at face value that both clubs kind of are at the moment. But to bring in a name like Carlo Ancelotti to Everton, I think speaks to Farhad Moshiri, our owner's ambition. Um, I think he's fed up with trying to do the long term manager, appoint someone from, I guess, mediocre upbringing. You know, Watford coach, Southampton coach, no disrespect to those clubs whatsoever, but it's not Carlo Ancelotti. And I think finally he's poised to get, or posed to get his man, um, the big name signing that he's always wanted. And it's exciting, but I would have been a hundred percent okay with Mikel Arteta going in. Um, had either uh, both of those names just compared to David Moyes, it's like, it's really sh- just staggering, frankly. Yeah. And I, I think, um, just that face value, like you said, it, it almost seems like, Ancelotti would have been the better fit for Arsenal and right. Mikel Arteta might have been, 
you know, the perfect guy for Everton, an inexperienced manager with uh, with less expectations than Arsenal would have for theirs. But, you know, uh, I, like you said, I think it shows the ambition of Everton and uh, and it shows where Arsenal are at right now. We know that we need to rebuild from the ground up, basically, which is crazy because we spent so much money in the summer. I don't even want to talk about it. I mean, I think you both have really good points. I'm hyped for Ancelotti either way. I'd also be hyped for Arteta. I think he would be a pretty cool, you know, appointment at Arsenal. I feel like he kind of fits the general mold of the Lampard, the Ole at Man United in terms of, well, obviously being a former player, but also just kind of a, a youngish, former, very solid, very good Premier League player. It would be super interesting. And then on the flip side, I've seen plenty of people make the point that you've made about Ancelotti for Everton, right? Is he the right guy to build from the ground up as opposed to just take the pieces and reassemble them as they need to be? And so my only counterpoint to that is simply we're going to have risk no matter what manager we take along with you as well. And so in my opinion, I'd rather just take the risk with someone like Ancelotti over pretty much anyone else. But to move on to the match itself, Mike, give us a rundown. How do you think Arsenal are going to approach this match at Goodison Park in terms of tactics? Well, let me just be blunt with you. Arsenal don't have <laughs> tactics. If you've watched Arsenal this <laughs> entire season, they don't have any tactics, right? They just go out there, they throw out some sloppy team, and then eventually they just quit. And if they get lucky, they'll have a good 10 minutes where they might score a goal. But most of the time, they'll just get one shot on target the entire game, and we'll call it a day. So... Going into this game, I think you guys should be very, very, very confident that you will get a win. Not just a tie, you will get a win because you're at home and Arsenal do not win away from home unless they're playing West Ham, um, which is the easiest matchup in the league right now. But um, how do <laughs> Damn, I hope they shade. Yeah, it, it's bad. It's really bad right now. No, I mean, they I are I should bad. be on Arsenal I fan TV. I should be uh, the next DT or troops. <laughs> but um, as far as how they probably will line up, I mean, it seems like Freddie is stuck now to Martinelli on the left, who is uh, our, our little Neymar. He's fantastic. If you've gotten a chance to watch him, he's been awesome when he's played. And I think probably Abba, Pepe, and then midfield. The midfield is just dismal. I hope it's mm. Guendouzi and Torreya. I hope Granit Xhaka never sees uh, the light of day in an Arsenal jersey again. And then, you know, defense. We don't have a left back right now. Uh, Kolasinac went off injured. I'm not sure how badly last game, but he had to come off. It looked like he sprained his ankle pretty good. Tierney is out for a few months with a dislocated shoulder. Um, so we might be starting a 19-year-old forward uh, in Saka at left wing back, which is not going to be ideal. And then, you know, our center back situation is never ideal with David Luiz, Socrates, or Calum Chambers. Um, so it's going to be potentially a back three is what I'm hoping to see. And then two wing backs. I just don't know how it's going to be. I don't think Lacazette starts this game, though. The main concern for Everton, I'd probably say, is Martinelli and Pepe. I, I was able to catch some of the City-Arsenal match last weekend, and Martinelli does look like a really fantastic player. We know Pepe also has a lot of speed and a lot of ability on the ball as well, although he hasn't necessarily hit the ground running yet in the Premier League. So, James, how do you think that might counteract what we could see from Everton with all of the injuries, right? So... We know based on Big Dunk's media press conference that Fabian Delph and Luca Dean are definitely still going to be out. Yeah, we, I mean, similar to Arsenal, we're a squad currently decimated by injury. That 
is not going to come as news to anyone who's watched the team at all this season. I mean, we went into the match last week or at the weekend versus Manchester United with one fit senior midfielder in the squad and were forced to play Mason Holgate, who's a center back as a defensive midfielder. Luckily, he played extremely well, of course. So, but it, but it goes to show that both teams are not in a position where they're able to field their strongest squads week in, week out, which, I mean, you can argue is probably has a lot to do with their relative positions in the table at the moment. Um, so it's been very unfortunate for Everton. So, I mean, it looks like Leighton Baines is going to get another run out. Uh, he played well for the 60-odd minutes he played against Manchester United. So it's going to be interesting. Barring any injuries in the match, there's going to be a pretty thin squad. So, I mean, it's going to be... Keenan and Mina at the back, and then I think unless Sidibe can come back from his sickness, he'll be it'll be Coleman again. So I mean he's done all right. And up front, I don't know, Alex. What what do you predict he's going to do in midfield? Is Mason Holgate going to play defensive mid again? Are we going? What are we going to see up front as well? I think I think he's going to have to because we don't really have any other options. I mean we're we can probably assume that Gilfie Sigurdsson will be back, right? Because he was only kept out of Man U for sickness. So, you know, I guess he could go with some crazy midfield pivot of Davies and Sigurdsson, but that's very unlikely. So I would say Holgate probably does start in the center of the pitch. In terms of forwards, um, I don't know, Moiski anyone? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> not Moiski. <laughs> not no Moiski. No chance. No chance he's um, elicited a reaction out of after the, the drama. I don't think so. So I think it's going to be you see that? Ruin. Did you see the Moise Keen thing? What'd you think? You, you know, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about that. Um, I did see what happened. That pretty bizarre move from Big Dunk. I mean, power move for sure. In watching, actually, and, and don't kill me for this, Jamie Carragher's breakdown of the incident and, and him taking all the footage of Moise Keen's 18 minutes, minutes on the pitch. And then you look at the stats, um, you know, all of the possession lost, um, duels lost, etc. And it, it seemed kind of justified, to be honest. I think it was kind of overblown. Like, he could have just not done it, if that makes sense. And we probably would have been fine. We had, what, like four minutes left in the match. But I think at this point, the only thing that can save Everton in terms of keeping Moyes keen would be if we appoint Carlo Ancelotti. That's, and then that's maybe. So you think he's going to go? Like you think Moise Keane wants to leave now after this? No, I personally don't think that. Um, just because I think if he were to to do something like that, it would reflect very badly on his on his character. Not to like, you know, assassinate a kid here, his personality. Um, but I think that this is the type of thing where you... The worst thing about it is that I don't think Duncan Ferguson really considered the ramifications of it at the time. I think, like Alex said, he wasn't playing very well. Um, based on on Carragher's anal- analysis, which again I hate giving him credit, but it was pretty on the nose. Um, he didn't play well, and it was unclear whether he was doing. He could have been completely out of position. Um, it, it's impossible to know exactly what he was told before he came on the pitch. But you're not going to take off Calvert Lewin, who's having an unbelievable game. And so if you if you didn't feel like you communicated the tactics you wanted from the player, then you then you take him off, and it just sucks because again I think he. I somewhat almost believe him when he says he did it tactically um, just because I don't think he was thinking, yeah, this kid is like one of the hottest prospects in Europe. And if I do this, the media is going to go absolutely berserk about it. Um, But it is of course, like a notable thing to sub off a sub, but I think, yeah, based on the analysis like of it, and I've watched it back a couple of times myself, it was justified. Unfortunately, I just hope that it, it gets a reaction from him and doesn't have him 
if he throws a tantrum and and tries to get a move, I think that's going to be a huge detriment to his long term career. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, it it doesn't make sense that an interim manager would come in and just try and insult a nineteen year old like that. So, I mean, it, it had to be tactical. That's pretty obvious. But uh, yeah, Moise Keen, uh, more disappointing than Pepe, or I, I don't even know considering the price tag. Pepe's been okay for you guys the last couple of games, though, right? I mean, he's he's done all right. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I thought Pepe was going to come in and be the best player in the world, yeah. which sure. he's shown glimpses of so far. So I'm not I'm not completely out on him. Yeah, I think it's like I under Arsenal under Emery, it was like such a weird style of play, and it never really felt like he got that real the, the buy in from the players necessary to execute whatever it was he was trying to execute. I mean, you guys have a good squad, and so do we. There's no way that we should be in our relative positions in the table at all. Um, but I also think that, you know, there, there is a lot more balance in the league. There's a lot of clubs that have money relative to the rest of Europe and a lot, and a lot of them have, have decent investment and some have invested better than others. Leicester being a, a really good example at the moment, obviously. Um, so it, it is a much more level playing field than it's been in the past. And I think despite the fact that we've both spent a lot of money, neither of us have really gotten where we want to go, but I'm hoping that, you know, we can start to turn things around. And I, I mean, I would, I, I don't necessarily like Arsenal all that much, but as far as the top six clubs go, you guys, uh, you guys are all right. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, considering that I am a semi Everton fan, considering right. uh, like, you know, I'm a big Roger Bennett guy, met in Blazers mm. and I'm a big American toffee guy. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hey. a semi Everton fan, but I haven't even been able to rely on them to give me joy this year. But, um, you know, I think we've both been victims of very poor coaching this year. So I do think it's going to turn around for both teams. It's just a matter of time. I mean, it kind of has to at this point. It's really, it's really like it's legitimately falling up, I hope. But nonetheless, <laughs> so, so let me ask you both one question before we wrap it up with score predictions. So the one question is, and Mike, we'll start with you first. Who is your key player for the match for Arsenal and why? Oh, man, that's a tough one. I should say someone defensively, like, Probably Saka, who's going to play left wing back uh, because he's being forced to. But I'm going to say Martinelli, just because I want to see what this kid can do away from home uh, in a tough match that we really do need to win. Uh, I think he's going to give a lot of trouble to, is it Leighton Baines playing left back this week for you guys or right back? Left back, and it'll probably be Coleman at at right back. Yeah, I mean, there are going to be some favorable matchups for him and Pepe. So I, I'd say Martinelli over Pepe for my key man of the match. But we need a big defensive performance from someone in the middle, hopefully Colin James. Fair play. James, same question to you on Everton. All I'll say is, firstly, don't sleep on Leighton Baines. Just because he hasn't been playing for us, that man can still play. He's, he's what, 35? He just turned 35. But he's not the fastest, but he's, he's still got the, the acumen for the game, that's for sure. Um, for me, though, our key player is going to probably be dare I say it, Mason Holgate, because I just think if he can keep up the way that he played against Manchester United, it's going to be a lifeline thrown to us, frankly, while we can try to get the rest of our midfielders fit. And hopefully, you know, by Saturday, he won't necessarily have to play that far out of position. But if he can continue to play well, then it changes the entire team because he's so good in the air and he can win those balls in, you know, higher up the pitch than he's normally accustomed to. And he's shown that he's pretty good on the ball. So um, I think Mason Holgate is kind of our, our he's almost in like a JPG type role when, when John Philippe Gabamin comes back. Um, can he displace Mason Holgate might be the question we're asking at that point if he keeps it up. So yeah, Mason Holgate for me. What about you, Alex? 
I like, well, first of all, you're both thinking outside the box, which is, which is nice because to be honest, Mike, you could have gone the easy route and said Obama Yang. James, you could have gone the easy route and said Richarlison. So that's nice. I almost For did. me, actually, oh, I bet you did. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm, honestly, I want to I want to agree with you on Mason Holgate just because it was a really, really fantastic, surprisingly fantastic performance. And as you said, I mean, we we need the depth at central midfield. I think that he has a lot of ability that suits the play style and it could be exciting. And, and unfortunately, we just kind of absolutely need it. So he, I, don't, I don't think he's going to have much of a choice in this in this uh, situation. So to wrap things up, let's start with score predictions. I'm going to flip it. James first, what's your score prediction? Whew, I'm going to say 2-1 Everton. This is the first win I've predicted. I've, I've done two straight losses, and this is um, really kind of risky because I was hoping that that would – me picking against us would keep our run a good form up. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the trend and predict a win because I think at home, if – depending on how the match goes again against Leicester – um, Goodison will be rocking regardless. We could have a new manager being announced, so it's going to be a tough environment for Arsenal to come into. They're not exactly high on confidence at the moment. Um, I think this could be a, an important continue, continuing Duncan Ferguson's interim, uh, interim reign, an important win. All right, Mike, you're up. Well, I almost feel like I need to make two predictions. One with Mikel, Ate- Mikel Arteta in charge and one <laughs> with Freddie Lundberg in charge, right? Um, so my Freddie Lundberg prediction is, oof, I'll say 2-0 to Everton. But wow. if we get Mikel Arteta, that's how low I am on this team, by the way, that Everton wow. is going to score two goals on us and we're not going to score. That bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man. If we have Mikel Arteta, we're going to come out and beat you 3-1. We're going to get the new manager oof. bump, and we're going to smoke you with your old boy, but what Mikel if, Arteta. But what if we have Carlo at the helm? That would be wild. Two <laughs> new manager bumps clash. <laughs> a 1-1 draw in that case. Okay. If both okay. new managers are there. I'm going to. I'm going to have to go with a one-one draw. Usually, I'm not going to go with someone else's score prediction, but unfortunately, there are already three on the table, so it was inevitable at this point, gentlemen. Um, I think it's going to be a one-one draw. I don't think either defense is going to keep a clean sheet. However, I do, and I, I expect it to be a very physical match. I think with where both teams are at, clubs are at mentally, and, and then physically in the table, not where we want to be. It, it, it's going to be seen as a must win for both, especially for Everton at home. And so I think it's going to be super interesting, super physical, 1-1 one, one draw. Nonetheless, Mike, thank you so much for joining us, as always. Of course, always a pleasure. And please plug the Mostly Soccer podcast. And folks, if you can't catch it in time, then we'll have it in the, in the uh, description either way. Yeah, so if you want to give us a listen and hear us talk about how much we love Arsenal and Everton on a different podcast, <laughs> uh, you can follow us at uh, Soccer Mostly on Twitter and Instagram and just look up Mostly Soccer on uh, wherever you get your podcasts. But thank you, boys. Always a pleasure to come on here and chat with you. And good luck on the weekend. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg/atp and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.